The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. So when it comes to growing fruit trees, there's the dream, and then there's the reality. So the dream is that you can go out into your garden at any time and harvest and enjoy delicious organic fruit. The reality is there is lots of work involved in growing fruit trees successfully. You need to learn how to prune them, how to protect them from pests and diseases, and you need to learn how to feed them correctly. But those are all skills that can be learned. I teach fruit tree care skills online at orchardpeople.com, and I write about it in my award-winning book, Growing Urban Orchards, which you can find on Amazon or in your local bookstore or library. And yet, there are some types of fruit that are super easy to grow. All you have to do is plant these fruiting plants, you can water them, and then just wait for the harvest. And in this show, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to explore growing no-fuss fruit. So today in the studio, I have two very special guests who will tell me all about it. So my guests today are Stephen Biggs, a horticulturist and the author of a number of fantastic books about growing edibles. And my second guest is Steve's 12-year-old daughter, Emma, who grows food with her dad. And like her dad, Emma is also an author, and she's finishing off her second book on gardening for kids. Now, before we dive into the topic, I encourage you as listeners to email in your questions, your comments, and your stories during the live show. All you have to do is send an email to instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. Oh, and if you do write in, even if it's just to say hi, you're eligible to win two books by my guest today. The books are Grow Gardeners, Kid-Tested Gardening with Children and Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't. So, Let's meet our guests, Steve and Emma. Welcome to the studio today, guys. Thanks for having us, Susan. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great that you came in. You found your way, no problem, to the studio, the secret studio, mm-hmm. Reality Radio, very special place. So now we may have another guest. Oh, another guest may come in in a bit. But first of all, let's dive into our topic today. We're talking, Steve, about no-fuss fruits. Now, I know you. I've seen your garden. You're not a no-fuss gardener. You've got a lot of stuff that you do that's very fussy that you work with. So why is this a topic that's of interest to you? I like the uh, the no-fuss fruits because it leaves me time to do some of those more fussy, time-consuming tasks that I like to do in the garden. So uh, tree fruits are great, but they sure take a lot of time. And so um, when I'm talking about no-fuss fruits to people... Uh, I'm talking about things that really practically take care of themselves in the garden. They're great options for people who are busy or, or 
have other things to do. So when you're talking about no fuss, is it literally, Steve, planting something, forgetting about it, and coming back in a year or two and then enjoying the harvest? Is that what it's going to look like? It can be coming back in a year or two. It could be coming back in 40 years. And and I'll tell you, Susan, how I got into this um, topic. What gave me the idea was um, in my former house, I had these wonderful neighbors, Anna and Chris, and they had in their front yard a quince japonica bush, which had been there for decades. It, it, It was there before they got the house. And one year, my neighbor, Chris, said to me, you know, there's these fruit in the japonica bush, the quince bush. Would you like them? I said, yeah. I was very excited. And at that point, I didn't even realize that quince japonica was different from quince. So I thought I was getting quince fruit. And uh, anyway, I cooked up these things, and I made um, I made a jam, and I took it over to my neighbors, Anna and Chris, afterwards. We sat down to eat, and I can picture Chris taking the lid off to put the spoon in this jam, and the spoon bounced right back because I'd overcooked it and I'd effectively made rubber. So he, he took the knife to it and cut these nice rounds of rubber for our tea. Oh. He was a very gracious host. But but the way that that got me into no-fuss fruit was simply that that bush had been there for decades with almost no pruning and no care. And it was in a hot, sunny, dry location. And I thought, now, isn't this the kind of fruit that we all should grow or that we all should have grow in our yards with a minimal amount of input. So what is, how is it different from a quince, quince japonica? What, what does the plant look like? Uh, they're, they're two entirely different things. So there's the, the quince that people know as a quince and um, the quince that's well known in history. And, um, and it can be a, a small tree, is usually a small tree. The quince japonica is unrelated and it's a small bush with these bullet hard fruit, but they <laughs> do have a bit of a similar smell and taste when you prepare them. And I, I'm, I don't know how they uh, got that quince in their name. Maybe that's why, but they're very different, but you can use them in similar ways. So tell me, what would have the right way to prepare? The, what, how would you have prepared the, the quince japonica? Were you more successful later playing around with I it? I overcooked it. And with okay. a lot of uh, jams, if you overcook them, you can make them too... Uh, uh, firm. And that's what I did. Okay. And so again, it's something that needs a lot of sugar, you know, but delicious. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Well, do you remember this stuff? I guess you, you don't remember the rubbery one, huh, Emma? I don't remember. I think it was too small. So, oh, we've got another guest coming into the studio. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> we've got Anna Baranowski coming into the studio and she is going to join us and listen in, but she may also participate. So she's going to put on her headphones right now. And when she talks into the mic, if she's going to talk into the mic, she's going to get very close to the mic. Welcome, Anna. Welcome, Anna. And it was Anna's quince fruit that I cooked up into this rubber the one time. Anna, do you remember the time? Okay, so come close to your mic and tell us about what did this quince japonica jam look and taste like? I don't think I actually tried that. Uh, I guess it didn't look too appealing. No, you know what? We had a tree that had all these beautiful fruits and I had no idea what they were. They were just a strange shape. And Steve apparently knew what they were. I had no clue. And he just took it upon himself to rescue all of these fruits, which would not have had any attention if it wasn't for the genius genius of you know steve's Steve knowledge yep. of what to do with these bizarre fruits yes he's that kind of guy isn't he your dad's that kind of guy definitely so have you ever emma had the opportunity to taste a correctly made quince japonica jam i don't think so my dad's cooked up a lot of weird things but i don't think any of them have been that okay we're going to hear about more weird things today will we hopefully we do weird is good i have lots i have lots i am curious what 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 weird things are you referring to emma well there's lots of weird when he cooks things up he'll bring something in from the garden and it turns out in kind of an unusual manner sometimes well he's that kind of guy yeah, I, I've like made a... parsnip wine before. I oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well, all right. So, Emma, um, you know, I know I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience with your dad in the garden. Now, you are 12 years old. It is true. 
Yes, you're accomplished. Yes, you've written a couple of books, so you're writing them. But um, do you remember starting to work with your dad in the garden? And do you do you remember was fruit? Did did it lure you out there? Did it help you encourage you to be outside with your dad out there? Well, I remember. Well, I don't really remember this, but my dad has a photo of me sitting in my high chair, de-stemming currants. And so I don't really remember that, but that's definitely something I've always done since I'm little with fruit. But the one thing that I do remember is Cabander Stew, and that is my homemade creation, uh, which I made in an upturned frisbee in a pot with lots of water and mud and whatever I could find in the garden. And that's probably my earliest memory of gardening. But ever since then, there has been lots of uh, fruit used that has gotten me into the garden. And so from me and my cousin picking and eating currants, fruit has definitely lured me into the garden a lot. I guess it makes it interactive and fun for kids. Like, you know, gardening, if you're growing flowers and stuff, they're pretty. But somehow when you can stick something in your mouth, maybe for a kid, that's kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. Now this mud pie thing you made in a Frisbee, like I'm hoping that you didn't eat it, but you know I didn't don't worry what a relief okay and if you did you turned out just fine so there you go that's great okay so so Steve tell me um for instance with easy no fuss fruits what would you say is the top your favorite no fuss fruit that really really would be so easy for anybody to put in their garden yeah, I currants are at the top of the list, and and I should say so. No fuss. I'm thinking minimal pruning, no spraying. Something that tolerates shade or partial shade will tolerate poor soil, and um, so currants just fit the bill perfectly. And and actually, looking back on that first house I lived in next to my neighbors Anna and Chris. Um, in their backyard was this beautiful old apple tree, a wild apple tree. And growing under that apple tree was a red currant bush that was there before they moved in. And I remember that bush because when they didn't pick the currants, I would reach through the fence and I would pick them. And this, this bush that had been there for decades hadn't been pruned, didn't get any care, just kept making currants every year. And here it was growing in the shade of an apple tree in a heavy clay soil. And so that really, uh, that's a perfect example of currants being such a great no-fuss fruit option. And um, they, they tolerate partial shade. Uh, they're not fussy when it comes to soil. And uh, you can certainly prune them to, to get a better crop, but you can also take a totally hands-off approach and still get some currants. So so they fit beautifully. Now there are different types of currants, different colors. Have you experimented at all or do you know much about the different types of currants available? Yeah, so you could uh, very broadly you can break them into red currants and black currants. And um, I guess they're, they're both great in the sense that they, they fit that no fuss concept. And the other neat thing about them is that they're quite difficult to find in grocery stores. You just don't see them commercially available. You do see them sometimes at farmer's markets, but they're rarely for sale. So to me, that makes them twice as worthwhile. And um, so they're, they're both no fuss. Now, a little bit of a difference uh, when it comes to pruning the, the reds and the blacks. The... Um, the red currants, you're really growing a more permanent framework. They fruit on older wood, and so you're creating a more permanent uh, framework, whereas with the black currants, they fruit best on uh, second-year wood. So you're, you're pruning a little bit differently so as to encourage new growth all the time. So let's say that black currants are a little more fussy than the red. What about white currants? Yeah, so the white currants, and there's also pink currants, and you can treat those as you would uh, red currants. So what kind of thing, guys, would, uh, you know, when you do the harvest, and Emma, when you were, you know, you were taking the little stems off the currants, what did you guys do with them? Did you eat them just as is? Well, my dad said, I don't really remember this, that me and my cousin, we would sneak outside, and we'd go and we'd pick his currants, and we'd eat them right there in the patch. And so we do a lot of that still. And sometimes, though, my dad will get all three of us, me and my brothers, Quinn and Keaton, outside. And we'll all go out to the very back of the yard where the currants are planted. And we'll take big bowls with us. And we'll just spend the whole day picking currants. And then later that night, we'll go inside. 
and my dad likes to freeze the currants. So he'll put them on cookie sheets and he'll freeze them. Then he'll take them out and it's easier to de-stem them once they're frozen. And so we'll do that. And then my dad turns them into juice. And so he makes the most delicious currant juice ever. Hmm, really nice. So mm-hmm. the juice is cooking them? Yeah, so um, so we, we freeze most of the currants. It's busy in the summer, so throw them in the freezer. And uh, over the course of the winter, as we need juice, we pull out a bag of currants and, and I make a juice concentrate. I cook them up with a bit of water, add a bit of sugar, sieve out the seeds and the skins and any stems that are remaining. And, and it makes a juice concentrate. And uh, if you've seen the Ribena black currant concentrate, it's exactly the same idea. And so that's what my black currant concentrate tastes like. But I'm also doing it with the red currants. And, you know, it's, it's not a lot to say that a, a person with a, an average yard can grow and freeze enough currants to make a good part of their juice for the year because they're productive little bushes and you can squeeze lots into a small space. They are super productive. I have one in my backyard. They're so pretty as well. You know, the beautiful, beautiful berries and the way they hang down. And it's like, seems that none of the animals seem to go for the the currants. I don't know why. I don't have any problems with it. You know, you bring up such a good point because when you get into these smaller uh, fruits like currants, that's another one of these advantages. Uh, And, um, a, a big fruit, uh, if you're growing, say, an espaliered peach in a city and it has a half dozen to a dozen peaches on it on your little espaliered peach tree, uh, if you have one industrious squirrel, that could spell the end of all your peaches. And I, I really remember my one neighbor seeing him one day with a two-by-four in hand <gasps> chasing around his driveway. He was just fuming mm. because the squirrel had made off with the last of his dozen or so peaches off his espalier tree so you know peaches those big tree fruits even when they're espalier i don't think they're a good sit uh, a good fit for urban yards but these small fruited things like currants are fabulous perfect there's enough to share now we have an email from a listener ari from aurora illinois you know what ari says here he says Wow, an author already. And I think he's talking about you, Emma, not your dad, (laughs) who's also very youthful. He says, where can we get Emma's book? So, Ari, I have a copy of Grow Gardeners, Kid Tested Gardening with Children, A Four-Step Approach. And you are eligible to win a copy. Um, So you may be able to win a copy because you sent us an email. Anybody else who sends us an email may also be eligible to win a copy. But Emma, where can Ari order a copy of the book if he wants to, if he doesn't happen to win today? You can get the book at stephenbiggs.ca and you can click on the books page and all the books for sale by me and my dad, are they're all for sale online. Perfect. So that's great. Now I have some other comments here. Um, so here's one from Scott from New Hampshire. And Scott says, I grow Nanking's cherries. He says, it is too easy. He says, planted shrub, wait three years, eat fruit. And he says he grows them in New Hampshire, bought from Fedco Nurseries. So I think we're going to talk a little bit later about Nanking cherries, aren't we, guys? Mm -hmm. Okay. So thank you, Scott. Now, David wrote in to say about his favorite no-fuss fruit. He wrote in to say, after a couple of years, raspberries have taken off a good portion, taken off a good portion of my backyard. So raspberries, awesome, delicious, productive. No fuss, though. Mm, So David doesn't fuss. They can be no fuss. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good one. Now, we've got an email here from Chuck. Now, let's say Chuck, I don't know where Chuck is from. You can email us back to tell us. But he says, just saying, hi, love the show. I would like to enter the contest. Thank you. You are hereby entered, Chuck. Thank you so much for emailing in. And at the end of the show, we'll find out who wins. So now we've got, what else have we got here? We've got a bunch of feedback off of Facebook. And we've got Karen from Texas wrote, I had, this is interesting, I had a lemon tree that produced lemons that were so bitter that I went and cut it down. I do get some peaches and pears, and last year I had the best figs ever. But the bees were up in the house, and I had them, I guess the bees, removed. They were fine, and the fellow promised to take good care of them, so she saved the bees. 
So with the bees gone, do you think I'll get figs again this year? I have to cut that tree back in February. It's up over the house and only the birds and squirrels will get the figs. She's not happy about that. So actually, Karen, I don't know if you realize that we do have, and Steve is a fig expert. So her lemons weren't good. She gave up on the lemons. But what about the figs? If she got rid of the local bees, will she have fruit? Uh, well, I guess the, the, the question would be, what are the, the bees doing? Is it, I, I know around here the wasps will often get in and start eating the ripe figs, and maybe that's what she's talking about. So hopefully there's more to share oh, wouldn't uh, that if, be nice? if she doesn't have the bees around. And it's also, like from my perspective, when people have established trees, it is so beautiful, and often people think that the tree is bad because the fruit doesn't taste good, when really it's about you know, starting to prune the tree and care for the tree so that that fruit starts to taste better and better and pruning plays such a big role in that. So um, I think she's going to do very well, Karen, with the fig tree. Now, Chuck just got back to us to say, oops, sorry, I am from Vancouver, BC. Well, thank you so much, Chuck. So let's see where we are right now. What I'd like to do is, um, let me just see. Oh, here's one more. Here's one more, um, also from Facebook. Ryan writes, okay, Ryan writes, I'm just getting started with fruit trees in clay soil. Any advice? He's from Eastern NC. What's NC? North, North Carolina. Carolina. North Carolina. Zone 7, 8-ish. He says, I just, I just learned I need to spend another season preparing the clay into soil, working on it and researching it. And is all the advice I got so far. So, Ryan, for me, I we also have pretty clay soil here in Ontario. And I often use um, green manure. So I often plant white clover. I Sometimes we have used um, radish seeds to break up the soil. And so I think it's amazing, Ryan, that you are preparing in advance before just popping your tree in the ground. So it'll give your tree a really good start. That is the best way to start to think mm -hmm. in advance. What do, what advice do you have, Steve? Well, y with clay, it's always a question of adding some kind of organic matter. And um, for me, the easiest thing is always leaf compost. We have a lot of big silver maple trees in our neighborhood, and I can collect the leaves from mine and, and from my neighbors and, uh, and compost those. And those are a very inexpensive, easy way to lighten up a clay soil. Oh, perfect. That's great advice. Emma, do you have any advice? Uh, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> big on growing trees. I think my dad's the best person to ask for that. He is the best person, though. You know, give you a couple of years. I think you're going to be teaching us about growing <laughs> trees. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. In a minute, we're going to uh, hear a few words from our sponsors. But before we do, so the listeners have the opportunity to win these books by you guys, Steve and Emma. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a bit about the two books and what they are. So, Emma, do you want to talk about Grow Gardeners? What's that? Okay. So, Grow Gardeners is filled with kid-tested gardening with children ideas. Uh, it's a four-step approach. So, growing, collecting, playing, exploring. So, it's pretty much saying make the garden fun. And it gives a whole bunch of ideas of how to do that, whether it's having an asparagus tickle fight or a snail race. It's just ideas to try to get kids into the garden. Now, I have never had an asparagus tickle fight. Anna, have you had an asparagus tickle fight recently? N not in the recent past. <laughs> I am wondering what exactly that is. I mean, a lot of ideas come into my head. But maybe, <laughs> Emma, you could give us a little bit more detail about that. So asparagus, when you leave it for a while, it kind of gets a bit ferny and it kind of feels when you touch it, it feels kind of soft, but it feels tickly. So I don't think that's a word, but I don't know how else to describe it. And, it's kind of like a fern, I guess. Somehow I feel like your younger brothers are the one who are getting most of the tickling done on them. Am yeah, I, am I, I think correct? So. Definitely. Yeah. Would you dare tickle your dad with, with that? I've tried. You've it's tried. hard. He probably runs pretty fast, that yeah. guy. He's pretty wiry. So, yeah. You know. and, and then we also have, Steve, your book here. 
Tell us about Grow Figs. Yeah, well, it's Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't. And the whole essence of the book is how do people grow figs in climates where you don't think they'll grow? And um, here in, in Toronto, uh, you can make your fig trees survive the winter by burying them, by taking them into unheated garages sometimes or into the basement. And um, it's amazing how many people grow fig trees and how many different ways there are to do it. So the book gives ideas on how to make these plants survive winters where they normally wouldn't. And Steve's figs are the best. Oh, living nearby, Anna, yeah. you probably get to taste them. They're they're very and they're all different. Like there there are different varieties, right? Yeah, I'm up to fifty something varieties now. Oh my gosh. And they all have a slightly different taste and different shapes to them, I think. That's I right, yeah. I'll tell but you, it's pretty great living near them. Yes. Oh, 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 I bet. I live a little <laughs> too far away to get the bounty here. I think we gotta move actually. Gonna talk to the hubby idea. about that really. But um fifty different cultivars, quite amazing. Mm-hmm. So we have an email here from Mark. Now let's see, where is Mark from? I have a feeling Mark is from Ontario, but let's see. Mark says, hi, I would like to thank Stephen for writing his fig books because it made me realize that I overcome climate fears. Made me realize that I overcome climate fears and thinking that only apple and plums could grow in my zone four. So now, thanks to your inspiration, he says, I grow quince, pawpaws, persimmon, and other fruits. Mark. That's nice. Thank you, Mark. That's really nice. Thanks for writing, Mark. And you may win another copy of the book and Grow Gardeners. So, all righty. So let's see what we're going to do. Let's see. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to go to some commercials, and then we're going to talk some more about all sorts of stuff. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101, where we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com, and we'll be back after this short break. If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com slash workshops. Looking for a quick, easy to apply and all natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer, and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children, and pets. You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-sol.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer. If you want your fruit trees to live a long and healthy and productive life, it's essential that you water them properly when they're young. You need to water slowly and deeply so the moisture seeps into your young tree's expanding root system. That sounds easy enough, but you'd be surprised at how often the water you provide for your trees just rolls away, leaving its young roots high and dry. That's why we at TreePans.com have worked with orchards to develop a product that ensures all the water gets to your tree's root system. Our expandable tree pans funnel rain or irrigation water to the drip line of your young trees. 
Additionally, tree pans eliminate weed growth under the tree canopy, as well as protect your trees from mowers, tractors, and weed whips. Tree pans are used in orchards, city parks, and in residential yards. And once your young tree is established, you can move your tree pans to another young tree. Learn more about tree pans at treepans.com. The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, it's simple, it's easy, and it sure is fun, kids. Dial 905-725-1907. Toll free anywhere, and we mean anywhere. 1-866-905-7325. Send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and I'm the author of Growing Urban Orchards, an award-winning book on fruit tree care that's available online or in a bookstore near you. In this show, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. And in today's episode, we're talking about no-fuss fruit, fruit that's so easy to grow that even a child can do it. And in the studio today, I have two fantastic guests, author and horticulturalist, Steve Biggs, and his 12-year-old daughter, you were once 11, (laughs) Emma Biggs, who's also a published author. Emma's books are about how to get kids involved in gardening. So, do you have any questions for Steve and Emma about growing no-fuss fruits? Or, do you have stories about your favorite easy-to-grow fruiting crops? Or... Do you have stories about how you have encouraged your children to spend time with you in the garden? If so, write us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com and include your first name and the place you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And today you can even call in and talk to us in person at 1-866-905-7325. So, Steve and Emma, let's continue going into the nitty-gritty about growing no-fuss fruits. So, let's talk today, Emma. Shall we talk about ground cherries? Tell me a little bit about ground cherries. Okay. So, ground cherries, they're a tomato relative, and they're sweet, and they're small. But even though they're a tomato relative, to me, they're more like a cherry. And I have friends, and they do not like tomatoes at all. And... They have tried them, though. I've somehow convinced them, and they love them because they taste no nothing like tomatoes. So even if you don't like tomatoes, I highly recommend that you try them. And so these ground cherries, they have a husk around them. And so it's a papery, thin, golden husk. And they're really fun for kids because the way it works is you pick them off the plant and you peel the husk off around and you uncover the golden cherry inside. And so they're just a really great fruit for kids. Do you know, I am so not surprised that that's on your list because we, my husband Cliff told me about ground cherries. I never knew about them. And we planted them from seed, I guess, or maybe plants, but they plant themselves. Oh boy, do they plant themselves. They spread a lot. And one year we had so many in our garden. The garden was filled with them and they're delicious, sort of vanilla flavor. That's how I would describe them. So we had so many and we uh, got our neighbors and neighbors a few doors down and they had some kids. We said, kids, come into the garden, try ground cherries. And these kids were running around, harvesting them, having a blast. So I can totally see why that would be a really good kid friendly plant. Yeah. Ground cherries are so great for kids. Now, how do you guys plant them? Do you get seed packages or? 
Well, most of the time we'll have a package of seeds for ground cherries somewhere and we'll sprinkle them if we know specifically that we would like to have them somewhere. But most of the time, some of them, we miss them, we go away somewhere and they fall and we just get ground cherries, which is good because we never plant enough. Exactly. No you go through all of many. them, huh? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say the flavors like? Do, Steve, do yeah. you? Um, pineapple comes to mind when I'm hmm. thinking of a ground cherry. It's not as acidic as a pineapple, but I, a pineapple-like flavor. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, Emma, you say it's a relative of the tomato. And we we yeah. all forget the tomato is a fruit. Yeah. But honestly, I, unless you had told me, uh, if you hadn't told me that, I wouldn't even have known it was related to the, a tomato. Yeah, you can't tell at all. So when you when you grow them, the ground cherries, um, do you just eat them fresh or do you guys prepare them in any way? Most of the time, by the time we're done picking them, there's none left in the bowl because we eat them all. So we've never actually, I don't think, prepared them into anything. No, if they... we're lucky, they'll get into lunch bags, but that's as far as they ever get. The kids are grazing them all the time, so we don't get a big harvest to set aside. But I have seen recipes for ground cherry pie. Mm. And um, even once I was surprised, I was in northern Quebec and I saw ground cherry liqueur for sale. And it was little bottles of this liqueur with a beautiful golden color. So you can use it in different ways. Now, I'm not aware. Are are grants, can you get different cultivars of ground cherry or they're just, they are what they are? I think there's a couple. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So that's good. If any of the listeners have had experience with different cultivars, let's, uh, well, let's hear from you. In the meantime, we have an email from Megan. Hi, we're a family of three with a dream to grow a food forest on our newly acquired eight acre property in Prince Edward County. Oh my goodness, I'm coming to visit. Anyways, Prince Edward County, Ontario. My 10 year old son would love to be entered into your contest. Okay, Megan, you're entered, hereby entered. So that sounds great. It sounds like you have a great plan in uh, Prince Edward County. And we've got an email here from Mark. So it seems that there are not too many books, Mark says, about growing fruit trees in pots. There are some about growing small fruit trees in something pots, small fruit trees. I'm not much, hmm, but I'm not much about growing them in pots year round. Okay, there is definitely a need for that because taking care of fruit trees is complicated. Does Steve or Susan have any thoughts about the subject? Okay, Mark, and Mark is in Quebec. So Mark, my feeling about growing fruit trees in pots, sometimes people um, have like a very sunny patio but they don't have a garden and there are some fruit trees you can grow in pots and bring inside in the winter so I think it's doable my preference the way I grow trees I like to grow them in the ground because I have space in my local community orchard Um, but Steve what are your thoughts about that Uh, so my two cents are that I grow my lemons and figs in pots of course uh, because they don't stay in the garden over the winter but when I uh, lived in the UK I saw more fruit trees in pots and I would see uh, apricots, peaches, um, cherries in pots. And these things would go uh, for the winter into the conservatory or in the summer they might place them where there'd be more radiated heat to ripen the fruit against a brick wall, for example. So um, it is done, but I haven't seen a whole lot of it here in in the Toronto area, but um, looking for resources, it might be worth looking uh, towards the UK and see what kind of resources there are there. That's a great idea. And also, um, later in the show, we'll be talking a little bit about potted, uh, you know, easy grow plants. So we can talk about that too. But yes, it is a challenge. And um, it's something that we're all exploring and looking into. And there is certain rootstock that's great in pots. Um, So yes, interesting question. We also have an email here from Rita. And Rita says, can you see this, Emma? Yep. (laughs) Rita says, I cannot believe how knowledgeable Emma is. She sounds like a scientist. (laughs) So she is definitely a scientist in her own garden. So, okay, so ground cherries. Now, what about Cape gooseberries? Tell me, what are they? So Cape gooseberries are related to ground cherries. And so they're just like them. They're sweet. They're like a cherry, they're a tomato relative, and they're in a husk, except they tend to be bigger, a bit sweeter, and this flavor tends to be a bit more intense. 
And it's always a war because I think ground cherries are definitely better. My dad thinks that Cape gooseberries are definitely better. They are. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, well, Anna, have you tasted both of these? Do you want to vote? I don't know. I like those ground cherries. They're Aww. like yeah, really Ground good. cherries like, are the best. I really like the fact that you pull the, what did you call it? A, the husk. A husk off of it. And, you know, when you get that fruit inside it is always a delicious surprise and i'd never had them before i i i i guess i got a few from you steve and they and i haven't seen them really in the grocery stores at all but you know when you were talking before about just throwing them on the ground i wondered about as a complete and utter gardening novice myself i'm talking about (laughs) um if i threw some in my garden would they actually grow well, well, the birds will eat them. Sometimes they'll get them. Uh, I'll eat them and they'll fall. And so I guess they would grow because for us, we don't touch them. We just, they pop up places mm-hmm. that we didn't know so that they would grow. So do you have to put them under the soil or do anything with them? Just throw them on top? There's always an ideal way to do something and, and a less than ideal way. And ground cherries will often do well in less than ideal circumstances. They're, they're borderline weeds, depending on who you ask. They, they tolerate neglect well. Exactly. I'll tell you something. They will plant themselves. They In our garden, we don't have grass. We have uh, you know stones, pebble stones as our ground cover. And then we've got our raised beds. And sometimes these ground cherries are sort of flopping over into the area where there's the stones and landscape fabric and all sorts of stuff. Somehow they grow in the stones, landscape fabric. They grow everywhere. So, Anna, this is an empowering place for you to start growing fruit. So so where would I get my ground cherries if I really love them? Your well, neighbor, Steve. Your Emma. neighbor, Steve, will <laughs> supply them. And if for the listeners, if you don't have a neighbor, neighbor, Steve, you can definitely, definitely order them online from all these great seed companies. But, yeah, definitely this is a place to start. So... Anyway, so yes, yeah, so we were talking about, so basically you're outnumbered, Steve. I'm so sorry. Do you feel bad about that? or I'll live with it. <laughs> okay. Now, Steve, you were going to talk a little bit about service berries. And I know that's a plant that goes from on very different, various different names. <laughs> so tell me about service berries. Yeah, I think if people are looking for no fuss ideas for backyards, sort of hands off fruit, Service berry is very high on the list. And, and we're not actually talking about one plant. It's, it's a family of plants that are related. And they have fruit that resembles a bit uh, a blueberry, maybe a little bit uh, less juicy than a blueberry. Sometimes they're a bit more on the pinky side. And, um, and the flavor can vary. It's, it's not quite blueberry-like, and some are really good. And, and I've tasted service berries that aren't as good because it's this whole family of, of plants. Now, um, some of your listeners might know the, uh, the Saskatoon berry, and it, it's part of that clan. Uh, but you also have other ones. There's the downy service berry. There's the um, Canada or thicket service berry. And there's more. And, uh, but what's nice about these is in the fall, they have wonderful, wonderful ornamental appeal. The leaves go this beautiful, vibrant scarlet color they're just stunning they're beautiful and uh, and some of them will grow into small trees or, or tall shrubs um, like the, the Canada service berry and so in an urban yard if you don't have a lot of space you can combine a little bit of shade with something that gives you edibles so so they're really they're low maintenance they're beautiful they fit into a, in a backyard setting just perfectly they are amazing. So before I learned to grow fruit trees, we had planted a service berry in our yard. And I would run out in the morning to go get the service berries from the tree and put them on our morning porridge or cereal or whatever. Delicious, delicious, beautiful tree. We had another one in the front. And um, so they are beautiful and really easy to grow. The mm-hmm. only thing that I've found is um, we have a beautiful garden downtown um, here in Toronto, uh, the Music Garden, and there's a lot of service berries there. When, one year when I was working in that garden, there was fungus. So that was a year that all the... I've never seen any problems with service berries except for that year where they got fungusy and gross and horrible. And so that was a shame. 
But other than that, I haven't seen any problems. What about, have you seen pest and disease problems uh, on service You know, berries? for me, the only thing that we've experienced is the robins who happen to love service mm. berries. And they will come in and clean out a tree pretty quickly. But yeah. uh, I don't mind sharing with them. You are a very generous person. <laughs> what about you? Do you mind sharing with them? I don't know. They're pretty good. <laughs> They're pretty good. We should we should uh, tell the listeners, though, that uh, Serviceberry, there are other names. And I think it's probably regional, uh, different names in different areas. So if you're interested in this idea of Serviceberry um, and you're looking for them, be aware that they might be called Juneberry or or Shadbush or Junebush or Sugar Pear. These are all different names that you might see uh, depending where you are. Yeah, so that's definitely something to look up. That's great. And really, well, when we planted our tree, we just planted the tree, we watered it, we did nothing else. Maybe we mulched it a bit. Yeah, and uh, here in Toronto, the Parks Department has been putting them in extensively um, in in traffic uh, islands and boulevards. So places that are very challenging microclimates, and they do beautifully. They're tough. Yeah. They're tough. Well, let's. what we're going to do is we're going to hear a word from our sponsors, but we've got so much more to talk about, including Nanking Cherries, which I want to hear about. So we are going to come back in a minute, hang in here in the studio. We're also going to find out after the break how you can lure your own kids into your yard to help you grow healthy and delicious fruit, other than tickle games in the backyard. In the meantime, if you're listening to the live show, send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com with your questions, your stories, or just to say hi. And you could win two of Steve and Emma's excellent books. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from orchardpeople.com, and we'll be back in just a moment. My name is Mike McNair and I'm the manager of Universal Field Supplies. Universal Field Supplies specializes in products that are used by arborists. They're professional quality tools that uh, guys that use them every day need to rely on. So they tend to be higher quality than what's found in big box stores. The Universal Field Supplies product could be used by anybody that has trees and likes to look after trees. We've all been to school for forestry or arboriculture, and we have many years of experience. We would be happy to answer any questions people have and actually ask questions of them and find out exactly what their needs are and determine what product would suit them the best. Don't hesitate to call. Here's how to reach us. Call 1-800-387-4940 or email at info at ufsupplies.com. See you soon. Universal Field Supplies has stores in Mississauga, Ontario, and Port Coquitlam in British Columbia. Learn more at universalfieldsupplies.com. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Whiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, 
stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all, but start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware, have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality, lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at Home Hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, dial 905-725-1907, toll-free 1-866-905-7325. Send us an email in studio101 at gmail.com. Right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com, and you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, where we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's show, I've been chatting with authors and dad and daughter team, Steve and Emma Biggs, and our subject is growing no-fuss fruits. This show is designed for all of us who want some productive plants in our garden that don't demand a lot of attention and care. So, Steve and Emma, we were talking before, and I wanted to go into more depth, the Nanking Cherry. Tell me a little bit about it. Who wants to talk about that? Sure. Well, Nanking Cherry, uh, it has roots deep in my childhood because my grandfather in Calgary grew Nanking Cherry. And if if people know about Calgary and gardening, they might think what a horrible place to try to garden because it's uh, you get these wild temperature fluctuations in Calgary. So growing a lot of different fruit in Calgary is challenging. So if you can grow Nanking Cherry there... A uh, Nanking cherry obviously fits the bill for this no-fuss fruit because it is ridiculously hardy, and and it's a bush, and um, no spraying for me, and pruning is absolutely minimal. So it really fits that no-fuss uh, theme very well. But what is the fruit? Does it? I, and I must say, I have never seen one. I'm, I've heard about them for a while. I've never seen one. What does the fruit look like? Does it yeah. look like a regular cherry? So it looks like a regular cherry, a little bit smaller than than what you might get at the grocery store. Uh, but the stem is shorter. And when you pick this, the stem comes off. And I've I've heard it said that that's why these aren't sold commercially. That the fruit that is. Because once the stem comes off, it doesn't keep as well. Oh, interesting. But, but it's ridiculously productive for a home garden. And uh, you know, ours, when it's in fruit in our front yard, it's in our front yard garden. It just looks like a decorated uh, little tree at, at Christmas time, just covered with red everywhere. Oh. Absolutely stunning. So you're leaving the fruit on there uh, for the winter? Or when do you harvest it? Oh, no. The kids go out and harvest it as soon as it's ready. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. So I should say, though, that Nanking Cherry... Um, I don't see it a lot for sale. It doesn't seem to be widely available in the horticultural industry, which is a shame because for home gardeners, it is easy to grow hmm. and it's prolific. And so you can use these little cherries. I'll, I'll freeze some. I will uh, cook some up and make squares and pies and juices. So they're, they're quite versatile. And is the plant attractive looking? I can't picture it right yeah. now in your so front it's a, of your it's house. A, it's so. a bush. And... Um, it's stunning in the spring. Before the leaves come out, you get the flower. They're like little cherry flowers. And now my office faces the street. So when I'm at home uh, working in my office, I see everything. 
I see who walks by with their dogs, and I see all these people stopping to take pictures of my Nanking cherry oh, bush wow. because it's stunningly beautiful wow. when it's in bloom. So in the spring, it's beautiful. When it's covered with fruit, it's beautiful because there's all these little red fruit on it. And then in the winter, it has a nice bark. And, and if you've looked at the bark on cherry trees, you might have noticed you get the lines and the little the dots, the little lenticels. So it has quite a nice appeal. So it's a nice looking plant for a landscape. And how tall will it get? Mine is up to about chest height. Okay. So it's not tall. Not huge. And in fact, I'm such a big fan of this right now. I've been saving all of the uh, little seedlings that come up. It self-seeds and I'm making a hedge of it in my backyard. Oh, very nice. Nanking and you're planting cherry. it from seed. It, okay. it, well, it's self-seeds. I'm not oh. I'm not planting it. It's planting itself. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. So if somebody wants to get one, would they get the shrub or would they get some seeds? Absolutely. If you can find the shrubs, I'm a big fan of saving time. But you will probably have to look around. At least here in southern Ontario, I don't see it that often. Wow, that sounds great. So what how, What are your memories or thoughts about the, del- the delicious products you get out of the Nanking cherry? Well, I know that Dad, said, he's the one who sends me out with a big bowl and I fill it right to the top when I go outside. It's definitely very, very productive. It reminds me of the currants, how productive it is. You can just go out and pick a bowl of it. And then the next day you could probably go out and pick another bowl. It's very productive and it looks really nice too with the flowers. And it's really small. I never see Dad out pruning it, even though he does. And if he does, maybe twice a year. And so he doesn't do it very often. It's definitely very low maintenance. Well, what about, I mean, would you be tempted to nibble a Nanking cherry off of the plant? Or is it just not something you would eat raw? It's something I would eat raw, definitely. It's kind of got, it tastes like a, like a kind of like a sour cherry, oh. except a bit sweeter, I oh, think. Okay, well, that's really good. Yeah. Um, We have an email from Gail. Okay, so she says, Gail, Gail says, Susan, this show is such good information for us. For those of us that are terrible at gardening, what a great choice of professionals to be on your show. Thanks for the free advice. Emma, fantastic. And she's from South Valley, New Mexico. Thank you, Gail. Hmm. So, all right, we want, I wanted to save a little bit of time. Oh, and oh, geez. We have to. We have a competition to do here, so let's do our competition first. Have some fun with the competition, and then if we have a moment or two, I want to talk about and a couple wait, of other things. I have to oh, add, I forgot to add oh, a couple here. Oh, oh, hang on. Oh, yes, Gail. We got to make sure Gail is in there in that competition. So then we will say a word or two. So I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, y- you were talking, Steve, about some of the plants that you grow indoor, outdoor, like lemons. Would you say they're no fuss or not really? Uh, well, they're fuss definitely because okay. I have to lug them in and out. Yeah, a couple times a year. So, are, is there anything potted that might be considered a no fuss plant? If all I have is a little patio or a backyard. Yeah. So, so the Emma's uh, ground cherries are a great no fuss fruit in a pot. We grow them on our garage roof. Uh, the other thing that we put on the garage roof in a pot is um, the Cape Gooseberry, sometimes called Goldenberry. It's a relative of the ground cherry. And uh, and then melons are quite easy to grow and grow them in a pot. So I put them on my garage roof too. And, and for people who are short of space, don't overlook roofs. If, if the pitch is such that you can garden up there, you get this fantastic microclimate. And um, I can grow stuff on my roof that, you know, it doesn't mature until late in the ground, but if I put it up on the roof, I gain weeks. Well, and that's good information as well, because your roof is going to be hot mm-hmm. and it's going to be dry. And so we've got lots of listeners from really much warmer climates. So of the things we've talked about, are there, you know, which are the ones that, that people living in the hotter, drier climate, climates may be able to enjoy? I would... Uh I would think something like a melon. A lot of the melons like a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to need to irrigate too, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and do melons but, have, I guess, weeding, basically? Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to prune them. Yeah, and they're an annual. You treat them as an and annual. And they're an annual. So uh, that can make it very no fuss in that sense. It's not maintaining a, a permanent bush. Yeah. Well, there you go. So now in front of Emma... 
Emma's going to be the special person who decides. I got to tell you guys, listeners, these guys are super generous. We actually have two gift packages. So each package has two books, the Grow Figs books and the Grow Gardeners books. So we can have two winners. And Emma is sweating over here because she knows that it's her responsibility to put her hand in the jar, choose two names, and she knows everybody is so lovely and everybody deserves a prize. (laughs) No pressure, Emma. It's your time. Okay. Let's see who she gets. Uh, The first one is Chuck from Vancouver, BC. Oh, Chuck. Chuck. Yay. Good job. Okay. And who gets the second batch of books? And the second one is Gail from South Valley, New Mexico. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Okay, guys. Well, you both won your prizes. I am so excited. We will send those out to you. And Gary in the studio is going to send you an email going to get your address and we'll send these packages to you. So just to wrap up the show, we've got Emma here. And I don't know how many of you as the listeners have kids that are so awesome and spend time in the garden. But what would you say to parents um, as to how to encourage kids to come out and play? Well, I have a gardening talk that I do, and it's about cool crops. And so what that means is unusual crops, weird crops, something maybe that you wouldn't see in the supermarket. So something like heat-free jalapeno peppers. So they're something, they're easy to grow, they're normal peppers, and they look like jalapeno peppers, they taste like them except without the heat. So I will take them to school and I'll show my friends, hey, I'm eating a hot pepper and I can just trick them and they will never figure it out. And so kids like that. They think that's really cool. And another thing I think is I joined the Giant Vegetable Growers Association of Ontario this year. And so I talked to someone who grew an eight pound tomato. And so that just inspired me that maybe I should try and maybe I can grow a bigger tomato because I've only grown a three pound tomato so maybe I should keep trying wow that sounds great so it's weird things big things yeah and I think it's also what you're saying is teach kids to garden so they can impress the other kids yeah impress but make it fun I think if there's one word you should think of when you're gardening with your kids make it fun yeah yeah. Definitely. You know what? I'd like I think if I was growing up and my folks were out there having a good time, I'd want to go with them. So yeah. as long as it's not a burden and it's not like you know with the whip out, okay, kid, get to work, <laughs> right? But it's making it fun. You always joke about how you use child labor in the garden. Absolutely, destemming those <laughs> currents. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for coming to the studio today. This is so awesome to have you guys. It's been lots of fun, and we'll get you to come back someday. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thank yeah. you for having us, Susan. So, and now I just briefly, before we wrap up, I want to talk about next month's show. We have a really important topic, and I want everybody to tune in if you can. And I'm not kidding when I say that your life may depend on it. We're going to talk about Lyme disease. I'm going to tell you about my experience with Lyme, and we'll talk to an expert about Lyme and how you can protect yourself from it. So as gardeners and people who spend lots of time outdoors, we are all vulnerable. So please tune in next month for more information. Now in February, we will have a special guest host for our show. So guess who it's going to be? Whoever gets in the studio, say the words. No. Steve Biggs? Yes. Steve Biggs is going to be our guest host, and he is going to be hosting the show. Steve, do you want to give us a few words about what you're going to talk about in February? Yeah. In February, we will talk about growing olives. Mm-hmm. Growing olives, olive trees. Awesome. So we will give you ideas about growing olives where they grow normally and ideas about growing olives where they don't normally grow. Perfect. That is Perfect. Okay, guys. Well, that's it for the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in, for sending in your questions and comments. I have so much more to share with you guys on my website at orchardpeople.com. And there you can find blogs and videos, even quizzes. I've got a new tree quiz app. You'll also find archived episodes of this podcast. So you can learn lots more about fruit tree care. Anyways, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. 
Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next time. to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees, or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.